Another reason we'll see those sibling fights kind of pop up is looking for a break. And so sometimes kids do get, just like we get overstimulated by them, they get overstimulated by each other. And a lot of parents, if they're sending their kids to timeouts, or if your strategy is like, I see that you guys need a break from each other. Sometimes they, instead of just saying, I need a break and recognizing that because they don't have that self-awareness yet, they may start to have these fights knowing that the, the outcome of that is having a break. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're so excited to have Jess on from Our Mama Village. If you remember back to episode 102, she came on and she talked all about discipline and finding your calm in parenting, but today we took a completely different angle. If you remember, she's a registered psychotherapist, and today we took a deep dive into sibling relationships. I'm telling you, I wish I would have had this episode before I had multiple children. You know, what I really got out of it is not treating everyone the exact same. And I think that as parents, we grow as parents, we grow as mothers, and then also our children are growing and changing and they're not the same person. So sometimes a strategy might work, but sometimes we're going to have to try something new. And she just gives so much encouragement and support to navigate those waters as they come. So without further ado, let's get started with Jess. Today, we're getting into the challenges of parenting siblings. And all three of us here, we each have three kids. And Amy and I know firsthand this exhaustion that can come with navigating sibling conflicts because we're trying to do two things, right? We're trying to help our kids thrive as individuals. At the same time, we're hoping that they can thrive in their relationships with their brothers and sisters. So Jess, to get started, we'd love to know what kinds of things we can do or say as parents to really start to support these healthy sibling relationships among our kids. Awesome. Yeah, I know all three of us have three kids. We were just talking off air about, yeah, how that dynamic plays out with three kids in your home. And I love that the first question is proactive. Like, how can we be proactive? Because I think a lot of the stuff that we see for siblings is all, okay, well, what do we do after they hit or after they get into a fight? But when I'm working with parents and supporting them with siblings, so much of what we do is how can we proactively support them? So one of the things that we can do is really try and focus on building the sibling bond outside of these moments where they're struggling, they're fighting, they're kind of getting at each other. One of the things that I do kind of starting with when they're a baby, I know your kids are a little bit older than the baby stage, but some of your listeners, they might just have a new baby and they might be trying to build that bond right from the beginning is I would always do with my girls say, wow, I see your baby sister's looking at you. She loves you so much. And just starting right off the bat, I would speak this kind of love over each other saying, I can see that she loves you or your sister loves to watch you play. And then same back to the other sibling, I would say, oh, I see that you love your sister. I love how you got her the toy or I love how you did this. So it's, it's, you're starting with just speaking this bond, speaking this relationship over each other so that they start to have this narrative of, oh, my sibling is my person. I love my sibling. They love me. And that's just a really simple way that you can start to build the bond just right off the bat. Uh, What I also like to remind my kids of is your sibling is your person. This is a person that you're always going to have in your life. And I like to kind of take out, and I think we'll talk about this a little later in the interview, this pressure that they have to be best friends with their sibling. But this concept and this idea that we respect our sibling, we we treat them with kindness and respect and and talking about that outside of the moments where they're really challenging and they're really having struggles with each other. Another thing I like to do to help foster the sibling bond is doing activities that they enjoy together and, and helping kind of facilitate that so that they can have that time that is enjoyable, that does boost that bond with each other. Uh, I don't know if there's certain things that your kids like to do. I know you guys have a lot of boys uh, and I think one girl, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
uh, might be different activities. I, I'm not exactly sure what you guys like to do with your kids, but I know my girls, like there's, there's certain things that they love to do together. So I'll try and build that into every week where they're doing those things together that help build that, that, that bond and help encourage that teamwork. Another thing that I like to encourage, out, even outside of siblings, but for all parents, is creating some house rules. And I think that that's really important when it comes into like rough housing and it comes into the bickering or the fights is to have house rules or house values, however you want to frame that for your kids that you come up with outside of the moment of challenging behavior. So for example, a house rule might be when we're rough housing, if anyone feels uncomfortable with the rough housing or wants to stop at any time, we put our hands up. And as soon as a sibling's hands are up, that means that the rough housing, it's time to stop and we all need to take a break and step back. And having that house rule before their rough housing and in the moment where it's really hard to control their impulses and it's hard when someone says stop because now it's almost turned into fighting. It started out fun, but now it's kind of turned into fighting. It's really helpful to have that rule set ahead of time. So I think for all families, having house rules, whether or not you have multiple kids is really helpful, but especially when you have multiple kids so that they know what the expectation is before they're in that moment. I'll give you one more thing that I think is really helpful to do proactively, and then we can kind of dive into some of the other things to do after. But oftentimes sibling fights happen for a, a couple of reasons. So one is they're competing for a parent's attention. And so obviously all children love to be in this connection and this relationship with their parents. And so sometimes they feel in order to get that relationship with their parent, they need to be the loudest or they need to bicker the most, or they need to have the biggest uh, display of emotion so that the parent goes to that child. So to kind of proactively counter that, we can give the child little special moments of connection throughout the day instead of waiting for them to come to you uh, with those challenging behaviors. And another reason why uh, siblings have so much conflict is sometimes they're looking for a position of leadership or there's a power struggle between the, the siblings. So I like to counter that by actually focusing on giving children a position of leadership within the home. So for example, I might say to my oldest daughter, okay, you're going to be what I call the dinner boss tonight. And it's your job to lead dinner. So you're going to help me set the table. You're going to tell us where everybody's sitting. You're going to tell us all of these things to help give them that power so that they're not seeking power in sibling struggles or in other forms. So helping to give them a position of leadership proactively can help everybody kind of get that need met uh, without having to have those conflicts. Ooh, that's so interesting. I feel like the idea that's coming next is we all have three kids and mm -hmm. I've heard different theories and ideas about how birth order can affect kids as they grow up and even when they become adults. So in your experience, does birth order really matter? And if so, how do we best support our youngest, our middles and our oldest children to be the best versions of themselves? Okay. I was so excited that you're asking me this question that I got into a really deep dive on a lot of research on birth order. And the new research is suggesting that an adult's personality. So if we're looking at kids now that they're an adult and they have, let's say three siblings, birth order is not shown in the new research to be as influential as kind of this older research was showing us. And we're seeing that there was actually a lot of limitations on these older studies that we had on birth order. So the newer research is showing us that it doesn't actually make as big a difference as historically we were kind of told that it did. So the past research was trying to understand the relationship between self-esteem, personality, intelligence, as it relates to birth order. And that's probably what a lot of us are super familiar with. And it showed the old research that is often quoted that middleborns have lower self-esteem. They might struggle more. Our middle children might struggle more. The older children might be more like leaders and independent. The, the babies might be more dependent on their parents. So that's kind of the older research that we saw and that still is quoted a lot but there was a lot of limitations actually on that research it typically included wealthier families uh, so it was kind of limited in the sample size and the data and there was not 
too many, uh, too much data taken. So there's often on a smaller sample size. And one of the biggest issues with that research is we were looking at the kids at the ages that they currently were. So if you're looking at a five-year-old and a two-year-old, well, of course, your five-year-old is going to be more independent and have and maybe be more of a leader than a two-year-old who's a two-year-old and might be struggling more. So there's a lot of limitations in that research. And the newer research is saying it doesn't have as much of an impact. But that all being said, we're literally just talking in my office. I have three therapists and then my husband, who's not a therapist. We are all just talking about this birth order research. We are saying, so the research can say it doesn't make as big of a difference. But when you have three kids, you can see that there is an impact on having siblings and the different timing that the siblings come in on you. And I'm sure you guys have seen that when your own children as well. Your first child, you only have one child. So they didn't have to compete for your attention. They didn't have to try and engage in those attention-seeking behaviors as much because it was just them. And then you add another child in, and now you're splitting up your attention between two children. And that can be really difficult on a parent and also on the child, the oldest who's used to having all the attention, and the second child who now has to share attention with their sibling. And then you add a third child in for us, And that's even more difficult. Now you're trying to share your attention between three children and every child gets a bit of a different version of you as you're developing as a parent as well. So your firstborn might get that version of yourself as a parent who's just trying to figure it out. You're new to it. You might um, be stricter on different things with your firstborn just because you are trying to figure out how to parent them at every age that they are. And then you have your second child and maybe you're a little more confident or you're trying to figure it out. So even though the research is, is sharing that it doesn't have as much of an impact. And we can't necessarily say just because you're middle born means you're going to struggle with this later on. We can see that having children does obviously have an impact with their sibling relationships. So we want to be mindful of that and mindful of how can I make sure that each of my children has a special connection time. And for, let's say, an eldest child, how do I ensure that they don't feel like they have to be a parent to their younger siblings. And for me with my eldest, I can see that like she wants to take on that parental role. She's more of a leader. And so I need to remind her, Hey, you're still five. You know, it's your job to play. It's your job to have fun. You don't need to be your siblings caretaker. And so we can take some of that old research and see how can we still encourage our children uh, at the ages that they're currently at. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about this. And one thing that I reflected on is sometimes it impacts the way that we treat conflict, which we'll talk about coming up. But I noticed that I was always blaming the oldest child just because like you think like, I mean, what is a two-year-old going to do to a four-year-old? And it, and so just to be self-aware of maybe like how you're parenting given their birth order. I think is really interesting. I want to zoom in on something that you did say during that answer. You had this quote. It said, children don't need to be treated equally. They need to be treated uniquely. And I've realized that my children are all very different. I'll give one example. One of my boys requires a lot more physical touch and cuddling than the others do. Mm -hmm. And so he's always seeking this. I am happy to give it. But then he'll also say things like, you never cuddle me, even though I know that's not true. Or he'll see me cuddling with his brother and say, you always cuddle him. You never cuddle me. So could you help me to understand why he might be reacting this way and also what I could do or say in those moments to help him? Totally. I think, yeah, it's so important to know that all of our children are going to have different needs. And so just because you have three children doesn't mean that they all have the same needs and need from us in different ways. I also have a a child who needs a lot more physical attention, uh, cuddling, rocking uh, than my other child. So I think first off, that's really important and great that you're already aware of that. I think when he's saying something like, you never cuddle me, probably what he's saying is I need cuddles or I am seeking out that physical touch. And that's his way of, of asking for it. 
So you might remind him of the truth. Yeah, we have cuddled today, but it sounds like you need more. Like, it sounds like that wasn't enough. And just kind of reframing it for him. Like, yeah, you want more cuddles. I hear that. I have cuddled you today, but hey, like, let's do some more. Or finding a way to get that need met. Maybe you can't cuddle him at that moment, but like, yes, like, I can't wait. Like, let's sit in the chair in five minutes when I'm done doing this activity. And just getting to kind of the root behind that question. So the root is not that you've not cuddled him. It's that he's seeking more of that physical touch. And I know when you have multiple kids, like that feeling of being touched out or like all your kids needing your physical touch can be really difficult. So um, that could just be his way of of trying to to get that from you. I really want to use you for like my personal therapist right now. So what happens is one of the other brothers is on me. And so he's coming and he's saying that. And I have already, I promise you, cuddled him the most, way more than the other boys get. And then he's seeing someone else on me. And that's his, like, is there anything to do in that moment when you really deserve, you feel like this child does deserve some of my attention too. I'm not going to just put him down so that I can cuddle you. Absolutely. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying about one of the main reasons for sibling struggles is that competing for a parent's attention. And for him to see you cuddling his brother makes him think I now need to be cuddled as well, because there's only so much of my parents attention and I have to get that. And I actually think in those moments, it's okay for him to be a bit disappointed. And it's okay for him to wait for cuddles or to be told, hey, actually, I'm spending this special time with your brother right now. You know, a little bit later, I'll be able to spend that extra time with you. And I know it feels hard because we don't want to disappoint our children. Uh, But I can totally understand that. I have a similar situation where I have a baby who's eight months and I have a toddler who loves physical touch and attention as well. So when I'm nursing my baby, she will try try and like get under the baby to also be cuddled at the same time. And then I got them both on my lap. And sometimes I do have to say, hey, right now I need to focus and spend time on the baby and she needs to be fed. But, you know, at this time, I'm going to spend this special time with you and we're going to cuddle or we're going to rock on the chair. But right now I know that that's hard, but I need you to to wait or to play with this activity or this toy. And sometimes that is hard and it's disappointing and she cries and it's really tricky for her. But I think it's okay, and, And we can help them deal with that disappointment, validate their feelings around it. And still hold those boundaries. Yeah. When our kids get competitive, it can be so hard on us as parents too, because sometimes it's fine, but sometimes it does just escalate into more conflict. Do you have any other tips for people who have kids that are very competitive with each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that competitiveness in siblings is very interesting. And I think you can definitely see like everyone wants to win and all of a sudden you're racing and now there's a winner and there's a loser. And I think that can be really tricky. So again, I like to focus on this proactively if you can. Um, There's definitely things you can do in the moment. But proactively, I think we can talk a lot with our kids about the process versus the outcome. So, you know, we're going to play this game or we're going to do this sport or do a run and we're focusing on the process of it with them. So you're saying like, oh, I noticed how fast you were running or how hard you were trying or that you had a huge smile on your face as you were kicking the soccer ball with your sibling So try and really focus on that process with them more than the outcome, even outside of the moment when they're doing that activity and narrate when you see other people trying to do things too. So instead of focusing so much on winning, like who is the fastest or who won the game, you want to focus even when they're observing someone else or you're watching a TV show like, oh, I saw this character was running. They had a big smile on their face. Like they must love to run. That's so cool. And having those discussions beforehand can help with that competitiveness in the moment. And again, I think we can focus on the validation of feelings. So if one child uh, doesn't win and they are competing against something, it's okay for them to be disappointed about that. And instead of being like, oh, don't be sad. It's okay. Like you can win next time. You can say, yeah, I wonder how that feels. Like that feels a little tricky in your body to not have won that and you're feeling a little disappointed like tell me more about that feeling and it actually gives us a really good opportunity to help our children start to process those feelings of disappointment or sadness and show them that it's okay to not always be a winner Um, and the same for the child who won like we want to explore that with them too like yeah 
you know what? You did win today. And something I noticed that was really cool was you loved doing it. Like you loved running. You had the biggest smile on your face. Like that was so cool. And so focusing less on congratulating them for winning and more on like focusing on helping them notice how they enjoyed the process of getting there. Does that make sense? It does. And I feel like so many of your answers are revolving around this process, like trusting the process, finding little moments during the process instead of just the end outcome. And I think that for a lot of my parenting, like just reflecting back right now, so much of it is, okay, this is what happened at the end. How can I fix the end? But so much of what you're saying is these little moments along the way. Let's take a break from our longest standing podcast partner, BetterHelp. We have used this with our entire family. And when our middle little was going through a really tough time, it was so helpful to talk to a therapist about the challenges that he was going through, but also the challenges that I was going through as his parent. And like I've said in this interview, I was treating him the same as I treated my first. And it just wasn't fair. He was a different human being and I needed new tactics. I needed new skills in order to navigate those waters. During the therapy sessions with my BetterHelp therapist, I just learned so much. And she just encouraged me to do the things, the little things, every single day to just make our relationship better and to make his relationship better with his siblings. And know as a Herself listener, you do get 10% off your first month. So give it a try. Talk about your parenting with a therapist. Talk about the things that are worrying you as a mother of children who have this sibling rivalry or just the challenges that come along with raising multiple kids. As a Herself listener, you do get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash herself. Again, 10% off by going to betterhelp.com slash herself. Now back to our show. So let's go into conflict a little bit more because I know something that both Amy and I experience is this bickering. And yes, although it can be, I mean, it's not dangerous to have them chirping and talking through things, that, but when you're in the other room even, I can get so overstimulated. Like just hearing it, I'm like, should I step in? Are they doing okay? Sometimes it escalates, sometimes it doesn't. So in your opinion, what is some advice here? Because when should we let them keep on bickering and work it out on their own? And when should we step in as parents and try to mediate? Absolutely. So another reason why sibling conflict or bickering is so common is often the sibling is the person that the child feels the safest with. So they might not bicker in that same way with a friend or with a cousin or with a peer because they don't have that same sense of safety. And with a, a sibling, they know at the end of the day, they're still going to be my sibling. We're still going to we're still going to share a room or we're still going to be in the same house and they're still going to love me. So I can say these things to them that I wouldn't say to anybody else. But what can happen is that can actually make for some unsafe conversations because they uh, know at the end of the day, they'll end up being okay. So when it comes to bickering, we want to be really mindful of it's okay to have some disagreements. It's okay to have some back and forth. That is the sibling relationship really shapes relationships that they have with peers and friends and romantic relationships down the road. So it's okay for them to learn how to work out conflict, but we want to be aware of when working out conflict or disagreeing turns into something that is unsafe. And so things that would be unsafe is when it gets mean or when it gets rude or when it, it turns into any kind of thing that kind of feels like bullying at that point, I would step in. So I'll give you an example of something that happened in my house recently that I was really reflecting on. I had my oldest child had a friend over and this is fine. Great for her to have a friend over. It's her, her best friend. And she's almost six. So she's at the age where like a best friend is like very important to her. So her best friend was over and my younger child, who's almost three really wanted to hang out with them because that's her older sister. And she's used to playing with her every single day. And I thought they were playing nicely upstairs. And all of a sudden I kind of hear some yelling, some crying. I don't really know what's going on. And I come up the stairs and my preschooler is sitting in the middle of the hallway, just bawling. And it turned out that my oldest child had told her that she just wanted to play with her best friend and <laughs> they had had some fighting and some hurtful words were exchanged. And now my toddler was, was really sad. And so in a situation like that, where there was some comments that were made that were hurtful and that weren't kind, I would step in as a parent. That's not where I would leave my toddler to kind of figure it out and be like, oh, they're siblings, like they're just going to fight like this. That's where we want to set the stage for how we talk to each other in the house and what language is respectful and how we treat our sibling, uh, even when a friend is there. So in that moment, I actually 
I just asked my older daughter to come out. I narrated the entire situation. I said, I see two kids here. I see one kid who really wants to play with her best friend and she loves hanging out with her best friend. And she wants to do that without her sister there, which is totally understandable. So on the other hand, I see a sister who loves her older sister so much and is used to playing with her every single day of Christmas holidays. And now her sister is telling her that she doesn't want to hang out with her and that she's not her friend. And they see a lot of hurt in her eyes. And that doesn't make sense to me because I know that you love your sister. So what can we do? And then I like to just kind of leave it at, what can we do? Like, how are we going to resolve this? And then hand it back to them. And in that situation, narrating that out and taking my daughter away from her friend to do that. So it wasn't embarrassing for her. It wasn't in front of her friend. Helped her kind of see the situation from a different light. And the end result was not my toddler playing with her. And that was okay. But it was making a plan for how they were going to play when the friend was gone. It was an apology and a hug and repairing the relationship. And uh, that's where it's important for us to come in and take charge. Because in those moments, our kids can't work that out on their own. So they do need an in-charge parent to come in. And if sometimes if kids are fighting, like if they're really fighting or bickering and it's turning into being mean, they really need us to come in and step in and be a leader. So sometimes when it's like they're really going at it, it's even our presence in the room. Like we'll come in and like kind of have a bigger presence in the room and say, okay, I see two kids that are really struggling, really having a hard time. I feel like we need some deep breaths or a break, some space away from each other. And then we can come back and, and talk about this. So that's what I would say about bickering. Sometimes, yes, it's okay to let them work it out and to see if they can do it. But we really do want to set the stage for what a healthy relationship looks like. And if you're noticing it's kind of veering away from what's being healthy, then I would step in uh, as your position in the leader. That example really made sense to me because we've noticed in our house, you know, now we're getting to the ages where they're invited to a birthday party, but their sibling isn't. And that's new for us because everything used to be like all for one, one for all. And now, you know, we're off in elementary school and we're doing different things. And I can see how it's hard for the younger ones to feel left behind by the older one. So I love that you gave that narration example. What can we do as parents when the bickering, I know this happens to people in cars where like the bickering is getting so escalated and you just feel like you're going to go crazy. Even if you're making dinner and you can just hear your kids, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. And it just drives you crazy. How do we make sure that we don't get to our tipping points and that we can help them? And also if you have like a really fast, I don't know if you have any, but like a really fast thing that we could say or do to try to get them in a better direction in case we don't have time for that whole like script situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think a fast thing that you can do is like notice. So again, like if you're able to do some of the house rules ahead of time, like the way that we talk to each other. And then as soon as they're doing that, be like, okay, I'm going to step in guys. This is not how we communicate with each other in, in our house. And if you guys aren't able to talk in a way that's respectful, we're going to have to take a break. And so I will incorporate the break language versus like a timeout or something like that. And sometimes it's just a sign that, okay, we need some space from each other. So then maybe you already have like a different spaces in the house set up. Okay, guys, I need you to go take a, some space. And so we can come back and talk to each other respectfully. And I think sometimes that's just what they need. Um, when you're, they're bickering like that, it often is a sign that they are dysregulated or they've just kind of got to their tipping point with each other. They're probably overstimulated and it's just coming out in this bickering. So sometimes that is the best thing that they can do. So just like on a really kind of practical level, I think having some space and maybe having a separate spot that they can go can be really helpful. Yeah. So I guess it depends. Like if they're saying, yeah, you're stupid, you're stupid. That to me would be a warning sign as a parent. Like this could escalate. This could turn into like a, a physical fight. This, this is not kind of setting the stage for something that's going to be healthy for our kids. So if you can offer that or uh, just a reset, like sometimes I might just come in and yell, ah, we need a reset or like do something like really playful um, or like turn off and on the lights or, or put on a funny song or something that can just kind of reset the mood Let's get us out of this like bickering mindset. Uh, that can be really practical too. That doesn't involve like a whole long script. So just adding in that playfulness or yeah, something kind of funny to help them just shift the tone. 
because often that's what we need is just a, a tone shift in those situations. I really appreciated that that answer wasn't that you're always going to have them like solve this issue. Like sometimes it really just isn't even an issue. It's just the fact everyone needs space sometimes. So to say, it sounds like you guys really need a break from each other right now. Like let's give each other some space. Also, as you mentioned, like often if I just introduce something new, like, okay, do you guys want to color right now? It's like, it's just the shift that they, their little bodies and their minds need to to less focus on just going back and forth. I know that when we help our kids navigate conflict, something from your content that we notice is that it's not necessarily that you should say, who started it? Can you explain what might be more helpful when you're trying to help them to navigate through if it is really conflict? Okay, so when we're dealing with sibling conflict, I think I had already said this as well, but what they really need is to feel heard. So if the kids come running to me and they have a problem, I think what we can do right away is be like, okay, I need to fix this. I need to find out who started the, who started this. And we get really tangled up in the facts, right? So, okay, who started it? Did you start it? Well, why would you say that to her? And I think we can get so tangled up in the facts that we actually lose sight of the issue, which is two kids or three kids are having a hard time and they just want to feel heard about it. Similar to us as adults, right? It's like I was going to say, this is literally <laughs> happening happening in front of us all the time with adults. Yeah. 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 Like even if a friendship struggle or like if my husband and I are, are bickering or fighting about something, I was thinking about that as you were talking about uh, the tools for bickering, like sometimes even with a partner, right? You just need to take a break. It's not actually about the thing that you're bickering about. You just maybe need a little bit of space from each other. And I was laughing as you were kind of going through your explanation because uh, the other day, my partner and I, we were just bickering about something really little. And it was kind of like that teasing each other, bickering, like we weren't actually fighting, but we were just kind of like frustrated with each other. And my almost six-year-old comes up to us, she like puts her hands on both of us. Mom and dad, I think you both need a break. And she literally, she took my hand and she's so used to my methodologies, I guess. She took my hand, she brings me up to my room. And she goes, I think you should just take a little rest, mommy. And she just like put a blanket on me, which was so sweet. And uh, she wasn't dysregulated about it at all. But I think she's just used to this language that I use with her and her sister when they're bickering. So I think so many of these tools for siblings actually apply to all relationships. But yeah, so back to the conflict. If they come running to you about a problem, remember I'm not going to get tangled up in the facts. It's not really about the facts. It's about the children in front of me needing me to just hear them out. So I'll say, I see two kids struggling right now. Tell me what happened. And then I give a chance to both of the kids or all three of the kids to share their versions of what happened. It helps avoid the blame and it helps avoid one child always being the troublemaker, which I think can happen a lot in sibling dynamics. It's like, oh, it's this child again. Like they're always the troublemaker. And then that can become the label that they put on themselves. And then they do always become the troublemaker because it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I try and avoid the blame, let everybody explain. And then I'll just say, I wonder what would help. And kind of similar to my situation earlier where it just allows it to go back to them to help problem solve and come up with a solution. So that's one way that you can handle it. If all your kids are running to you Basically, I see two kids struggling. Tell me what happened. I wonder what can help. Another thing that often happens with conflict is you come to a situation. It's already happened. One child has hurt each other. And now you have one kid crying and one kid who did the hurting. So in that situation, I like to tell parents, start with the child who needs the healing. So start with the child who was hurt. You might say to the child who did, who did the hurting, I see you. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but right now I see your brother who is hurt, who is crying, who's having a hard time. I'm just going to check on him for a minute. And this allows you to take a deep breath because I think what often happens for parents is you approach a situation and your one child has hurt the other one. Your body immediately goes into that fight or flight mode. Like, oh my goodness, someone's hurt another person. I need to do something about this. And we get angry. We say like, you need to say sorry right now, or you need to go to your room. And we get angry at that child without taking a moment to really pause and help that child see the outcome of their actions, which is hurting somebody else. So I'll take a minute and I'll start with the child who is hurt and say, I see you. You're really hurt right now. Your brother bit you or whatever it is. And then I'll go to the other child and say, 
I'm noticing that so-and-so is feeling really hurt. You know, I wonder what happened. I wonder what got us to this point. And just taking that deep collective deep breath allows them to see the impact of their actions. You're narrating it out loud. And then it allows them to either make the choice to try and repair that relationship or try and explain to you what happened. And then from there, you can you can move forward. So I like I think it's just a simple thing to remember for parents is start with the one who needs healing in those situations. A quick break from our sponsor, Viore. As you guys know, as I've raved about in the past, Viore is some of my very favorite clothing. I'm telling you, it's the type of clothing where you're always going to be picking those pieces if they are clean. My suggestion would be going to their bestseller list because these are things that I love. Anything from the performance joggers to the Halo performance hoodie to the Halo essential hoodie. I have all of those and I wear them constantly. So this is the type of clothing that you're going to feel good in. It looks good and it really holds up over time and overwashes. If you want to get 20% off, you can go to vioriclothing.com backslash herself. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com backslash herself, and that will get you 20% off your order. And now back to our show. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think many of our listeners, I mean, even Amy and I, we know when there's that one child who might just get more physical than their siblings. Is there anything we can do proactively in those situations to help the situation not get so physical? Because it can just be so hard on the kids and also on us to try to mediate. Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to remember that all children kind of have different sensory needs and sensory buckets. And, and so for one child, they might not be as physical because that's not the sensory need that they have. And for another child, they might have those deeper, more physical sensory needs. And so that might be getting met for them through the fighting with their siblings or through, like Amy was saying before, like all those cuddles. And so again, proactively knowing that that's your child we can try and find ways to get that physical need met and find an outlet for it. So that's my toddler. She's very physical, touchy. She would love to just be cuddled and rocked all day long and in the carrier, even though she's almost three. Um, So I know that for her, if she doesn't have a way to get that physical need met, I'm going to start seeing more hitting. I'm going to see her literally hugging my baby so hard that the baby's like crawling and trying to get out of the hug because my toddler has that need and she wants to hug the baby and she wants to touch my older child who doesn't want to be touched. And, and so I need to help her get that need met in ways that serve her so that she doesn't get into fights or get into trouble for touching the baby and stuff like that. So some of the things that for her are really helpful is things like having a chance to push a pillow on the floor, just to kind of get that that need met. We might play a game where she's like pushing a pillow around the table on the floor or, um, actually proactively trying to give her those rocking times or those tight squeezes, giving her a chance to jump off the couch into pillows, outside, outdoor time, swinging, all of those things help her get those sensory needs met so that she's not going and now getting those needs met, but it's through hugging the baby. We always called it aggressively loving the baby when the baby was born or my older child. Um, And again, if there's rough housing, Uh, I know our physical children often will enjoy the roughhousing a little bit more. But again, we want to remember that they can't always control their impulses once it starts. So I think roughhousing is totally fine and normal in the sibling relationship can be a good way to get those physical needs met. But also, once it starts, it can be really hard to stop it. So having clear set rules around roughhousing ahead of time, sometimes even having a start and finish, like, okay, you guys are going to roughhouse, that's totally cool, but... You know, in a couple minutes, I'm going to come in and I'm going to call it and we're just going to take a break because I know (laughs) if we don't do that, it just doesn't feel safe for anybody. Uh, And then having a clear uh, safe word or action when they're roughhousing. So for me, it's hands up. So if at any point people put their hands up, that means that we're going to stop roughhousing and everybody's just going to take a step back. 
Yeah, I find that in the summertime, it can be so helpful just to be outside and running and jumping in the wintertime. It does get a little bit trickier, but those are some good suggestions just to do inside the house, you know, jumping on a, a, a small trampoline or pushing pillows, even like pulling. I mean, we'll even like pull our kids around. I thought it was just our family. And then I realized, wait, this is sensory output. This is actually something that we can be doing to help our kiddos. Yeah, so pulling is so good. Yes, I yes. know. What about our listeners who have a kiddo that purposely tries to agitate their siblings? Um, is there anything that we can do in these cases? Yes. Uh, so I think we want to look into, there's a few reasons why we start seeing like them purposely agitating. So one reason, this is like the most common reason that people talk about is that attention seeking. So again, children like to compete for their parents' attention, for the attention of the other siblings. So one way to do that is to agitate the other sibling. Now we've caused this conflict and mom and dad have to step in. They have to, they have to give me attention. And, uh, so one way we can resolve that, which can be really tricky when you have multiple kids is trying to proactively get that need met. So whether that's planning a special time with your child, whether that's they're playing and you just come and give them like a little rub on their back or you start seeing that, okay, they're starting to agitate their other, their brother or their sister. I'm just going to take them away from that and maybe include them in my dinner prep or something like that to help them get that need met. Uh, so if, if it's for attention, we want to just see proactively, how can we get them attention? Another reason it could happen is a sensory reason. So I do notice that in a lot of those more physical kids, like we were talking about, if they haven't had that chance to move their body or get those sensory needs met, you might start seeing that in what looks like picking on their other child, the other child or like poking. Like I would see from my toddler, a lot of poking, a lot of touching with her feet, a lot of just this, these physical things that show me, ah, she's getting dysregulated. She needs to move her body. She doesn't know how to do that in a healthy way. So I'm going to help her get that need met. Another reason we'll see those sibling fights kind of, pop up is looking for a break. And so sometimes kids do get, just like we get overstimulated by them, they get overstimulated by each other. And a lot of parents, if they're sending their kids to timeouts, or if your strategy is like, I see that you guys need a break from each other. Sometimes they, instead of just saying, I need a break and recognizing that because they don't have that self-awareness yet, they may start to have these fights knowing that the, the outcome of that is having a break. So if that's every time they have the fight and the outcome is the break, you might just start to recognize those patterns and be like, okay, as soon as I start seeing this purposeful agitating, I know that what they really need is actually some space. And so instead of adding a whole bunch of scripts or a whole bunch of words, I'm just going to proactively be like, okay, I see that you need a break before we let it escalate to this point where you guys are totally fighting. Let's just take some space. And the last reason that I, I see a lot of these conflicts happen is sharing or toys being really complicated for children, which I feel like we haven't gotten into. That's probably a whole podcast episode on sharing, but kids don't have that developmental ability to share. And so it's really tricky for them. And often they have to share all their toys. So then of course, when a child, one of their siblings has a toy that they want, that's going to feel really alarming because they want that toy and then you're going to see, again, those those fights break out. So having, again, some rules, some ground, some ground rules around sharing in the house that you can kind of fall back on every time and maybe some items that they don't have to share, that can be really helpful, too. I'm just thinking about my kids. I'm like, I, we've been through so many sibling phases, like when the young ones were more in that like wrecking ball stage where, you know, Max would be doing something that was like a little bit older and the other ones would come over and like wreck it because they just didn't have like the skill to play whatever he was playing. So I just wanted to mention quick, like we have found that it's gotten so much better now that they're all able to kind of like regulate their bodies and their skills, like their dexterity and stuff is just better and they can play together again. Drew and I just witnessed last night, we were watching Max, our oldest, who is six, and Cole, our youngest, have been playing together a lot lately. And I think for people that have, yeah, multiple kids, you worry that you might get into this pattern where it's, you know, two of them split off 
and one is left out, whether that be because they're playing, they enjoy playing together more with two or whether that be, it's kind of like ganging up. So how do we make sure that when we do have these odd numbers that one child doesn't get left out or ganged up on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is so important. I'm just reflecting on my own childhood experience because I have two siblings as well. And I was the only girl. So I definitely can like identify with those feelings of being like, yeah, at some point I was maybe closer to my one brother and the other one felt left out or maybe they were closer to each other and I felt left out. So having three kids, definitely that, yeah, the imbalance of the numbers for sure. But I think even in two kids or like no matter what your number is, you can you can have that feeling as well. So I think a few things. First, the ganging up. I think we want to be really, really mindful of that. Um, the, the feeling that there's one kid that's kind of alienated or there's one kid who's a troublemaker and who picks on the other siblings. We want to be just mindful of the labels that we give our kids as well. And the always in trouble kid or the troublemaker kid, we want to be kind of mindful as to how is that role coming out and why is that role coming out? Um, and oftentimes it is that they're seeking that connection or that there's some struggle that that the troublemaker child is, is having. And so the answer is not add in more punishments for that troublemaker child, which that's often what I see when parents will come to me. They'll say, I have one kid and he's always instigating everything. And so, you know, I'm giving him timeouts and I'm punishing him here and there. And actually what he's looking for is that connection with his parents. And so we can kind of we can unpack that and we can go deeper and, and see that the troublemaker child might need that extra support and love from the parent um, or connection time. And that's how he's getting those needs met. So we want to be really aware of kind of the roles that our children might play. We also want to give ourselves some grace. So if, if you're noticing, okay, there's two kids that are really getting along. Also notice that that might not be, forever. And I think as parents, we can be like, oh no, they're always going to leave their sibling out. Like this is, this is not good. I need to resolve this. But just notice how the kids are feeling about it. Like sometimes, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes there will be two siblings that get along for a period of time and, and their ages match up and their interests match up. And maybe the other sibling is okay with playing on their own. It doesn't mean that we have to change it and that this is terrible and they're never going to be friends. But we, what we do want to ensure is that we're respecting each other. We're making space for each other. And the two kids that are playing, it's not, I don't want her to play with me. She's, she's not cool. She never gets to play with me. Um, there's still a language of respect, but we can also allow for space for our kids within the home. How, how do you guys notice that play out in your homes? I really love that the focus on some of these answers has been like, okay, the line is that we don't want meanness in our home. So it's like if they're using words that are, you know, really not letting the other one play, I think it's just important to have that note on it. But like I said, when we started this question, I mean, my kids have been through so many phases Mm -hmm. and a lot of this conversation has been about conflict and rivalry, but like, I've also seen the most beautiful little relationships. And so we have felt like it's been an extremely positive experience for them to have siblings. And there's, there's hard times and there's good times. And that's Mm -hmm. just kind of what we think that a lot of life is. We did want to end on a really positive note because Abby and I, we both have siblings and while our relationships certainly aren't perfect, we do really value that we got to grow up with them and now that we get to know them as adults and have friendships with them. So if you could leave us with some encouragement of how we can foster friendships between our kids, um, we would just absolutely love that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that you said that too. I was thinking as we were talking, we were talking about a lot of the challenging things, but there's so much beauty that can come in the sibling relationship. I see that with my three girls. They have such an amazing bond and relationship. And though there's conflicts like the one I talked about, for the most part, like it's just really beautiful to see. And as I was mentioning before, the sibling relationship really teaches a child how to act with all other relationships in their life. So that is why it's important to have those boundaries around the language and, and help facilitate it. But it, it's just such an important relationship that really does impact them. So, sorry, back to your question, which was, 
helping them foster friendship. I actually think that we might want to take friendship off the table. Mm. Um, I think it can be a really big pressure for parents. Like I have to have my kids be friends. And I think friendship is something that can develop over time, but it doesn't have to be our goal for our kids. And I think when it is our goal, parents can get really caught up on, ah, they're not being friends. And it, it can feel like this pressure that doesn't necessarily have to be there. So what I like to say to my girls is your sister's your person. She's always going to be in your life. You know, no matter what happens in your life, your sister's your person and she's going to be there. So we want to treat your person with respect and with love and with kindness. And we want our our people and our family to know we're always going to be there for them. But it's okay, too, that you have friends outside of your sister and you have your friends at school. That's okay. But in our home, your sister's always your person. So I like to kind of reframe it like that. And I feel like for us, taking the pressure off the friendship actually allows them to be friends because I'm not... I am not trying to force that friendship. And I think about that with my own reflecting on siblings is often reflecting on your own experiences as children. And something I really appreciated my parents did was, was very similar to that. They never forced their kids. So us, they never forced us to be friends, but they laid the groundwork for it. This is how we talk in our home. This is how we treat each other. This is how we show up for each other in these important moments. And over time that developed into a really healthy friendship, but as children, we are still allowed to have those friendships and and things outside of that. I'm so glad you answered in that way because it takes the pressure off of us as parents to have to instill this, you know, best friendship among your siblings. And it also takes the pressure off of the kids to have to grow up with that kind of mentality. Um, Mm -hmm. So thank you for just like opening up. I wasn't sure where that answer was going to go. And that was just (laughs) so helpful for all the people listening that they look at their kiddos and they're like, there's no way these two are going to be best friends. (laughs) Like absolutely not. Um, And I also know from my own personal experience that you can grow into it. Like my brother and I, we bickered and fought and I mean like punching type of fighting until (laughs) high school. And then we realized, oh wait, we can actually help each other out. Like, wait, I can go out past curfew and you can just tell mom and dad that I'm at a friend's (laughs) house. Wait, hold on a minute here. Now this is going to work out. Um, And now we're, you know, I wouldn't say we're close friends, but so much closer than when we were when we were bickering and fighting all the time as little kids. And this whole conversation has just been so good. Oh, it's been so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I love that idea of we can set the stage for later in life when they become friends, but we don't have to have that pressure. Like we already have so many pressures on ourselves. Let's just work on treating them as the unique children that they are and just allowing that to organically develop over time. I think that's, it's just so beautiful. Uh, exactly. Well, thank you for that and all your tangible tips throughout this entire episode. And Jess, we know you offer so much on your platform. So please let our audience know where they can find more of you. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Our Mama Village over on Instagram. That's usually where I ha- I'm hanging out pretty much every single day. You can also find me at ourmamavillage.com. And we also cover siblings so much more in our parenting course. So we have our Parenting Little Kids course. I have an entire section on siblings that talks about all of this and so much more if you want more information on that. Awesome. And Amy and I love hearing what you as listeners are pulling from these episodes. So if you could tag Herself Podcast and Our Mama Village and just share something you learned from this episode on siblings, it would help your audience out and it would help us out growing as a podcast. Thanks again so much, Jess. Thank you. This was awesome. Awesome.